0: Hello everyone, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. Now before you jump on to listening to this episode, wait, take a breath, smile. Get your regular dose of life-changing entropy here on Everyday Talkies. Hello guys, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. We are back with the 14th episode of Guns, Germs and & Steel. And we'll be talking about the 13th chapter that's called Necessities Mother. And before we start all of that, welcome to Pushkar, hello.
1: Hello, Necessities Mother sounds like a Star Trek episode, so I'm excited.
0: True, true. And people might have guessed it's all about technology and how it developed across the world. But before all of that, Pushkar, why do you do the honors and give us a quick brief of whatever we have done in the past 13 chapters.
1: Okay, so the podcast is Guns, Germs & Steel. Uh, we're discussing how different civilizations grew at different rates across different across the world and how that um, affected our history over the last 30,000 years. If you want more information, listen to the past episode. I'm not going to recap anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pushkar, this was sad. Come on, you cannot do this to our audience who might it's, be joining us. No,
1: no, it's right. not sad. You have to draw a line somewhere. If you're like jumping into the 14th episode, uh, you know, out of nowhere, uh, it's like like you do not get the benefit of the doubt. We're following MCU rules now. It's like you don't jump in anymore. Like come, come do your do your homework and come here.
0: True, guys. It will helpful for us. Go listen to the 14 chapters, or you know what? Listen to the last chapter because last or the last episode because last episode we recapped so you can listen no, to No, listen to
1: like, all the chapters. You need the, you need the listens, right? What are you doing, actually? This is so
0: counterintuitive. Just uh, taking care of the audience who might be becoming too, a bit lazy. But uh, I cannot with good conscience proceed with unless if I think, even if I give like a 10 second intro. So guys, uh, initially we learned some like why humans are the way they are, some experiments, wh- how we evolved and the reasons. We're trying to explore the reasons uh, why Different human civilizations evolved across the world, be it from livestock, be it from plants, be it from germs, be it from uh, writing, the last one. And now, we are finally at the text space, that is the technology space, and um, the chapter started, you know, in a very unique way. And I would like Pushkar to tell me more about this before I, like, I want to read these two lines and then he can expand on this. It goes something like this. If inventions are as idiosyncratic and unpredictable as a disk seems to suggest, then efforts to generalize about the history of technology may be doomed from the outset. So Pushkar, tell us, what is the disc that we're talking about and what is this line all about?
1: Okay, so, weirdly enough, this is also the first line that I have uh, underlined, exact line. So, like, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, what he's talking about there is the Feistos disc. So, maybe some of you who are maybe like uh, conspiracy uh, lovers or like uh, you no know, are uh, avid watchers of ancient aliens or something like that so the phaistos disc is a disc that was found uh, in greece during an archaeological uh, archaeological dig and it was found on the island of phaistos and so it's a clay disc that is uh, circular well it's a disc uh, and it has about 200 different logograms uh, stamped onto it. So it's not that somebody drew these patterns onto a disc or something, but they are like proper stamps and which kind of gives it gives the impression that it was one of the very first, if not the first proof of printing in uh, human civilization, uh, like long before the Gutenberg press. So the Gutenberg press only started uh, around I think 1600 something something. Uh, but this disc was found in 1700 BC, which is a lot, uh, lot, lot, lot longer and uh, nobody has really been able to figure out what the five disc means what the symbols mean uh, even though like you can discern that it is a uh, it is written in some kind of a language it is some kind of printed writing but nobody has been able to discern what it is because there is not really um, any other point of reference to go by it, it seems like a very unique thing but uh, anyway the five just gives us a good example what um, what we're going to uh, look at in this chapter is the the human tendency to invent or the human tendency to tinker and how it has uh inherently been a part of a for a very long time now
0: you know the unique part why he mentioned this line also was that as you mentioned right that between the invention of good and press in the 1400s to and the five-star sticks there were like a 3400 year gap this was the first occurrence of a stamp but then for 2000 or so years we found no other evidence of stamps or things or clay tablets of this kind and then writing was then invented and you know or printing In some format was invented in China and the medieval Europe after like 2,500 or 3,000 years. So it's shocking uh, to understand, like, shocking to believe that there is no discernible pattern. Because if there is no pattern, then technology can basically uh, erupt from any corner of the world for any reason. So, and I think that is the question that we're trying to answer in this chapter. And obviously the age old that why did it first evolve in Europe and not the other places.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's important because I think uh, this chapter, this episode, I think will be really important because when when we talk about history when a lot of people talk about history and how civilizations evolved a lot of us don't really like to go like 30,000 years back or something right we we go to like maybe you know uh, the early crusades or like uh, afterwards and you know when the european expansion started that's when like most history starts and you see all these civilizations clash, clashing with, with each other and the argument that's made more often than not is that some civilizations prevailed because they had better technology and they had better technology because they had a more intellectually superior people who created inventions that were uh, that kind of of gave them the edge over other civilizations that kind of uh, gave them a, a certain sense of a certain sense of civilized living that they had to kind of part onto uh, civilizations that were still barbaric or the, that were still backward what we uh, find out in this episode is that that is not necessarily the case because invention is not something that comes out of a civilization but it's a very individual thing like the feistos disc the feistos disc is something that one person came up with and uh, it's not a generalized uh locally accepted it's wasn't a generalized locally accepted thing back in you know five stores during that uh, period of time so what we are talking about now are inventions made by certain people and why some of these inventions caught on and became the norm and like why they spread over certain areas and why they did not spread over certain areas
0: and to give a bit more context right so I think there was one point like this we discussed in the previous episodes as well and that is why you guys have to listen to the previous episodes so uh, where we uh, I think you had mentioned right that did society progress because of these individual people you know, who popped up mainly in the European and American regions? Or was it the civilization that spurred the growth of these areas? You know, namely we have Edisons, we have uh, James Watt and all these Einsteins of the world. And you know the question comes is like what if these people were not there during that time right would we not have progressed so often
1: these inventions are attributed to one single person and we kind of mythologize them in a way saying that uh, you know james watt uh invented the first steam engine and if not for that you know modern railways would not have absolutely existed at all and that is really not the case it's not that like the chapter's name is necessity's mother so it comes from the phrase which is like uh necessity is the mother of invention right but we look at examples and see that that is not necessarily the case like humans have always as long uh, as soon as they started living in cities and they did not have to focus on food production we started tinkering uh, with the things that were around us we started inventing we started experimenting and it was only after like a collision of experiments and a number of different factors coming together that uh, some of these inventions caught on and kind of uh, gained the kind of popularity that they did like he writes in the the chapter he says that in fact many or most inventions were developed by people driven by curiosity or by a love of tinkering in the absence of any initial demand for the product they had in mind so there was no real necessity for like the steam engine or like the the steam engine as we see it now it was that the steam engine was uh, first created and then it kind of uh, got pushed into the whole
0: uh you know, corner of trains and everything. Intention was for steam engine was not, uh, you know, engines, but rather, you know, pumping water from mines. Even uh, the most uh, egregious
1: example he gives of the thing is Edison's phonograph. Yes.
0: So, Edison, mm-hmm. when he invented the
1: phonograph, for the longest time, he was saying ki, like, you can use this as like a dictaphone. You can use it to, uh, you know, to capture a man's last dying words or something like that, you know, it's very like uh, little, little things and it it wasn't until like 20 years later when somebody some people started appropriating his phonograph to record music that's when it kind of caught on and became this huge new invention and initially even edison was like no this is a this is a abasement of my invention this is a in this is an insult this is an abuse of the, the this very beautiful thing that i've created and eventually then once he started uh, seeing how much money it was making and he was like ni, ni, kik, this was always the plan <laughs>
0: capitalism always rules but for people who are confused about what photograph is phonograph is you can either google it or you can just think of a gramophone it's like an earlier version of a gramophone so it's that
1: basically this proves that it wasn't necessity that led to these inventions in eurasia that kind of um you know kicked kicked in the industrial revolution and all that and today like if you if you want to look at uh, our inventions today and some of them like n- like 90 of them are not driven by um not driven by necessity like you watch shark tank So you know this better than I do. Like the best example that came to my mind was, do you remember like a couple of years ago, I think there was this startup that was creating, that had created a juicing machine, like a juicer, like a very fancy looking juicer. And the only way you could get juice is you basically had to buy packets of juice from that company and then put it into the juicer and it would give you juice. It was one of the most frivolous, useless inventions. Like you watch Saturn, so you probably know of um, even more useless inventions.
0: It's not about just use inventions, but about how companies finding out uh, basically telling the audience what their need is, right? That let's talk about the basic one. I think this example is quoted everywhere, not not in this book, but because this book was written before uh, this invention was made. That is iPhones, right? The first handheld smartphones. People were very happy, you making their calls. Nobody want, nobody requested, a you know, touch screen mobile phone. Nobody wanted that. But then there is this revolutionary man. I'll tell what audience wants, and he did that. So, I think that is the most common example, and it's not just about that, so this is one aspect, right? Where, like, we prove the point that uh, necessity is not the mother of invention, but it's the other way around. But on the other point, whether these people would have not been there, whether we would have succeeded, yes, obviously yes, because he gives a very nice example for James Watt again, in the steam engine. He said that even though we quote him, uh, like, that he invented the steam engine in 17... I think, 1760s or something, around that time. And he got inspired by, you know, watching the steam rise from the tettle, uh, tea kettles and all of that. But that is not true. That's absolute fiction. But yeah. there were, like, hundreds of years of work of steam engines before him, which was done by Newcomen and, you know, there were some French people, there were some, there were Christian Hugens. all of these people had done work on steam engines.
1: Yeah, it goes all the way back to, like, 500 AD, when somebody had sketched out designs for a, a steam engine, you know?
0: Imagine that, so even though we credit James Watt for coming on streaming, and you know, he deserves credit because he made these unique advancements to the already existing design, which made it more, you know, palatable and more consumer focused and all of that. But again, it came from a base, it did not pop up, you know, one day uh, he woke up and like, wow, this imagination and these things work. There's always a history, like if you trace back anything, you will find a basic source there. And it keeps on building on that. You keep on improving on things, and that is how you know inventions are made.
1: He calls it the histories of tar- trial and error. Basically, any uh, invention that has caught on that we think of as the norm only came about after like five different failed variants of it. You
0: know. True. And you know this is line which he mentions for this one is I really liked it. So the line goes something like this. But the question for our purposes is, is whether the broad pattern of world history would have been altered significantly if some genius inventor had not been born at a particular place in time the answer is clear. There has never been any such person. All Take that, Steve inventors. Jobs. <laughs> True, like all recognize famous inventors that capable predecessors and successes and made their improvements at a time when society was capable of using the product. And I think let's focus on the second part of the sentence right here. So we discussed now that, you know, nobody special. They always had, always has predecessors and Steve Jobs had the successes who grew the company, right? And the company's growing more than before, even though you know people discredit the current CEOs, but you know the company is at all-time high. On the other hand, there is an important factor, society's acceptance, which I had n- never really thought about that much. F- Feistos described Feistos disc- developed stamping at a time when the world did not require it. Motor engines were developed at a time where the people already have enough horses to uh, you know move around, and the engines were so big that they did not they didn't feel the need for motor vehicles.
1: Exactly. Like if you think about it, horses had served humans beautifully for uh, you know tens of th- tens of thousands of years since they were domesticated back way back in like uh, eight thousand BC or whatever. Yep. Right. So horses had been so useful, and uh, the problem was that yeah, like you said, these uh, engines were very cumbersome and very big, and they you know they were they did not. Uh, work that well but once you know world war one happened uh the armies had to realize that horses were, were not really uh as useful anymore as like uh trucks and uh you know all these vehicles and carrying in uh you know carrying goods or like carrying soldiers it uh, you know made me think of the ford company you know during world war Two, ford was one of the biggest suppliers of um you know uh, military uh, basically military supplies ford was one of the biggest suppliers and in, it's very interesting to note that once ford was like boom ford's business was booming because of uh, this war after the war was over over they had to find some way to start some way to keep on making money as much as they did during the war and what they came up with was uh, because people the economy was booming people had a lot of money to spend they were like every person should have a car because a car means freedom, a car means this and a car means that. And so, like, just you, uh, people all over the US were just buying vehicles left and right. Even though may, they may not need them. And that has now snowballed into, like, a global market of people just buying vehicles. Like, I know so many people who buy vehicles, who buy, like, two, three, four-wheelers, even though their family only has, like, three people. Like, what do you need so many cars for?
0: And it basically encompasses both the points, right? That where they are providing... uh, They are marketing the product in such a way that they are basically inducing the need into the market even though there is none. With cars especially, it created such a big lobby like the people, the lobbies who were
1: trying to sell cars, the oil lobby, the fuel lobby, that uh, all these lobbies, you know, became so big because of this simple uh, invention of the combustion engine that was initially only used as a means of war and then kind of snowballed into the whole climate change crisis that we have right now. It's uh, yeah, its really something.
0: And you know, we were talking about this, that how uh, every invention has a predecessor. So, there is this uh, a few lines which he mentions regarding the invention of mirrors. So, it's beautiful when he says that the Ice Age hunter-gatherers noticed burnt sand and limestone uh, residues and it was impossible for them to foresee the long accumulation of discoveries that would have led to the first Roman-class windows that was in the first AD, then around 2000 years later, maybe in Egypt and Mesopotamia and right now we're using it as, you know, glass vessels and everything is glass around us. So, ice age, so that's like what, 13,000 years ago? That was the last ice age that we, we went through. So glass, the evolution of glass and the invention of glass, you could say, and its uses. is, took that much amount of time so if you trace back anything there is always a history there is always uh, something that it traces back to
1: right and it's not like uh, you know some genius uh, always like comes up with uh, an invention solely for the purpose of inventing that like fulfilling a certain need like for example uh, he writes Uh, As for post-medieval petroleum distillation, 19th century chemists found the middle distillate fraction useful as fuel for oil lamps. The chemists discarded the most volatile fraction as an unfortunate waste product until it was found to be an ideal fuel for internal combustion engines. So, for the longest time, even though people were making like gasoline, were, were making the necessary fuel for internal combustion, they were like, no, this is useless to us and uh, the the less volatile uh, you know fraction of it is the uh, important part. So, even like even if people were accidentally uh, had accidentally invented something, it wasn't, uh, it didn't come into uh, force until someone found a use for it.
0: I think there are multiple examples which we'll discuss more through the course of the chapter, But uh, now let's switch our gears to the society part of things. So, you know, right after this, he mentions that how there were multiple factors in society which influences this. So Pushkar, do you want to take the first one?
1: Yeah, the the first factor is uh, economic advantage uh, compared with existing technology. Even if you invent something and you give it to some person, if it's not a good substitute for them over like whatever they're already using, they're not going to use it. So, uh, he gives the example of uh, ancient native, Amer- native Mexicans who invented wheels with axles for toys, but not for transport. Now, this might seem weird, but you have to uh, like think back to our uh, episode about domesticating animals and you have to realize that there weren't any animals to domesticate in ancient Mexico. So because there were no animals, there was no point of having a wheel
0: uh, for, to use for transport. And obviously, you know, that time there were no engines. So you needed animals to hitch those carts. Right. So for people still confused about why animals and wheels are related. But yeah, I think that is the reason why they didn't use wheels for transport rather than for toys, and then second point where he mentions, and I think which is still prevalent even today, that is social value and prestige. And Pushkar you correctly pointed out the car thing, right? It's, it's, it's a matter of that, you buy certain things just to, you know, be, and he gives a nice example, you wear branded items, you wear branded jeans, which is like twice or 10 times the cost of a generic jeans, just because you want to, you know, show off that brand just because you want to feel special or you want the world to uh, see you differently. There are historic uh, examples of that, but yeah, that is
1: one. The biggest example right now is uh, that whole thing with Supreme, uh, you know, yes. their whole thing. Like they sell absolutely useless products, but people keep buying them as if it's like a stock market. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah,
0: the whole culture of fast fashion is absolutely ridiculous. I just don't want to get into that as
1: well. Yeah, yeah. And also like, uh, well, cars, especially like, I mean, I know a lot of people love cars. Like I love watching Top Gear just to watch Top Gear. But all of the cars that I see in Top Gear, I find absolutely pointless. There is no real uh, function of having a car that can go at like 300 kilometers per hour. Because you don't have the roads to drive them. What is the need? It's just like, it's just absolutely for social value. It's just that, so you can go like, show your friends, like oh look, I have a Lambo. And like beyond that, there's no real use to it.
0: And we don't discredit people who, are, who have actually used for it. Like if you want a bigotty wear and your specific use case requires that, you know, for an F1, F1 race, go for it. You need to buy it. But I'm talking about the people, you know, in our community who don't have the means, especially in our generation, right, taking out loans and buying these fancy branded cars just because they have to please other people. That is the point that we are, you know, keenly focusing on.
1: No, even not that. Just like I see rich people who live in Kolapur, in Kolapur of all places, who drive like uh, Audi R8s and whatnot on like Kolapur roads. Like they like Kolapur roads are barely roads. Like there are (laughs) more potholes than roads, and you're driving an Audi R8 uh, on those roads. Like, what is the point, even? We'll uh, divert into the whole bashing of modern society. So let's move on. (laughs) And the third point yeah the third f- point was compa- compatibility with vested interests. so this is kind of interesting because here i i get the point uh, that he's g- going for which is like um you know if someone invents something and it kind of we get we, society gets used to that invention it's it's very hard to kind of revert to a more simpler or a more efficient form of uh, that invention simply because uh, we are more used to the other form and here the example he gives is of the qwerty keyboard so all of us uh, know what the QWERTY keyboard is, and he gives the example of why the keyboard was um, designed the way it was, why the keys are in the place they are. And uh, the example he gives is that um, if you put it in a more efficient manner, that the typewriter might get jammed because you're uh, typing it too fast or because you're typing two keys at the same time or something like that. And that's why the QWERTY was invented. And once people started getting used to QWERTY, uh, we kind of stuck to that also like there was intensive lobbying by companies like remington who made the qwerty uh, keyboard to kind of keep that design and this is all well and good like he gives this example but what happened was like i sent this to a friend because i found this very interesting and that dude like texted me like half an hour later like no this is not right you know like the qwerty wasn't designed because it was like jamming uh keyboard like the normal layout was jamming jamming keyboards and this and that uh, it was because qwerty is more efficient actually than the normal uh style of layout so there is like a slight uh, error here uh, with Jared I mustting it maybe it because maybe it's because he wrote it in 1997 and since then we've kind of found out different things but yeah basically what he uh, means to say is that once people get used to a certain type of product or a certain uh, variation of an invention it's very hard to go back to a different like the I think the simplest example of this I could give you is Apple versus Android right so if you're using an Apple phone, and uh, you're used to the whole Apple kind of uh, ecosystem. Then even if the Android phones are better or more efficient, you wouldn't like to go back to the Android phone simply because you're used to the Apple ones. And
0: it has happened with Microsoft. Like you have, a, you have actually faced it. Why do you think Microsoft is easy to pirate? Why can you get like it's hundred dollars for Windows Ten or whatever, right? And but you can get it pirated and get it free. Why do they let you do that? I'm sure there's there's smart enough people who can block it out for you, but uh, apparently they do it because so that they can build a habit for you. Because you become accustomed to, so when, when you grow up and when you start working, you ask your employer to get you a Microsoft device and not something else and an employer yeah, will not go and exactly. buy their devices they'll buy it and that is where microsoft earns money similarly you know in us right now in us and canada uh, google is pushing their chromebooks to the younger audience because they know if they get the younger audience hooked on chromebooks the next generation of people would want chromebooks as a professional devices
1: the last factor is uh, the remaining consideration affecting acceptance of new technologies is the ease with which their advantages can be observed so basically it's that if you bring up a new invention how simply can you explain it to people in a way that they accept it as something better? So it's like uh, the example he gives is for the longest time, you know, the English army wasn't like uh, very uh, keen on using, you know, gunpowder and this and that. But once they saw the uh, Arabs using cannons against the Spaniards, they're like, ye chahiye, this we want. And they just like very simply, they efficiently started using it.
0: Uh, like after this, he goes on to explain, you know, the different reasons why inventions Spread the way they did it, and why did it originate in certain place and the other?
1: Some of these reasons are uh, like on the basis of economical organization. Some of the some of them are ideological. Some of them are you know uh, simply political or environmental. And all these reasons are uh, basically trying to explain is that this civilization did not do this because of this reason or uh, you know this particular continent did not um, get this because of this reason. So basically what they are trying to say is for example uh, uh, maybe say in India like uh, people start did not start uh, using the microwave oven in India because uh, microwave ovens were used to cook beef and we don't eat eat beef and that's why you know India never uh, India did not develop microwave ovens till uh, very late or something like that you know uh, that's a very bad example but anyway very uh, bad example. <laughs> yeah no but anyway the point that he's coming to is that uh, all these reasons that are given he, uh for because of um, because of x reason uh, an entire civilization did not uh, you know adopt y invention or uh, discover y invention by themselves but what he's essentially coming at is that this is not really true if you look at history if you look at any sort of um, civilization any large civilization you can see the pattern you can see a pattern is is that there are some sects of that civilization that do accept inventions and there are some sects that do not so it's always very uneven it's always very scattered there's no real pattern to it it's like some people might just and he gives all these 14 reasons that are given uh, he says that all of them can be valid and none of them can be valid Like there's no real set formula to it and it's it, it was kind of frustrating at first because what he's essentially saying is that it's very random at best. Like, there is no real answer to why certain civilizations were more keen on uh, accepting inventions or were more uh, incentivizing, uh, you know, inventions rather than some other civilizations. But essentially what it boils down to is that
0: he tries to basically debunk the, myth, uh, debunk the myth that Europeans were, you know, genetically superior or more intelligent than the other people. And that is why they developed certain things. And that is not true. So he, basically tells you that in any society, in any place, in any part of the world, you will find a community which is more accepting of new ideas, is more innovative, more accepting of change, and other type of society which is a bit more conservative, be it located in Europe, because in Europe there were certain parts which are more conservative than the others, even in America, right, Native Americans, there was this uh, uh, Nugent or uh, I don't know, uh,
1: the... Now, Nav- Navajo. Navajo.
0: Navao, uh, the, uh, the Native Americans, they were more accustomed, you know, they were more uh, in tune to accept the modern technologies that Europeans bought brought in. And that is why they survived while the others did not.
1: And he gives the example of the New Guinea where the Chimbu tribe is uh, more uh, accepting of inventions than the Daribe tribe. And because of that, you have like uh, some, he, he says that he met a 50-year-old Chimbu, Chimbu person who was unable to read, write, or um, he was still very set in his traditional ways, you know, using stone tools and stuff. But he had become rich by growing coffee because he had seen other people grow coffee and um, he was able to get so rich that he bought his own sawmill uh, with the amount of money he made. So it wasn't that any sort of uh, thing of like because Eurasians had this kind of education or because they had this kind of uh, upbringing that they were very good very fine businessmen or very fine inventors. It was just that there were random factors that kind of limited a person's acceptability towards inventions and other person to be more receptive towards inventions
0: for people who will be, who'll kill us if you don't just list out the 14 inventions and quickly go through them so the first one i think is uh, the long life expectancy and that's quite obvious like the more you live the more time you have to build on the inventions and develop them so places with more you know medical background or more advanced medicine you know they succeeded more and then we come to the more economically related ones which i think we have mentioned countless times be it you know patented laws where in us it's more secure whereas in china you can copy anything and then modern capitalism rules everything so where capitalism is you give an individual a sense of earning and that i think links to the uh, third point as well where and which is, this was quite, you know, different and I could see a parallel to the Indian society as well where he mentions that there is a strong sense of individualism in US society, where they can keep on working on inventions and keep on earning for themselves. Whereas in New Guinea, the society is built on strong fa- uh, strong family ties. So he mentions that, that someone who begins to earn money will be joined <laughs> by a dozen relatives expecting to move in and be fed and supported.
1: <laughs> I, Anshul, I think you, you related very personally with that, I guess. <laughs>
0: Uh, swiftly moving on and then we move into the more ideological factors where he mentions that you know risk taking behavior where risk taking behavior is rewarded or sound, uh, you know, scientific outlook which I think all of us have read in our history books in the renaissance period that was a time where we, you know, we started questioning the why of things and that is where you know technology took a huge spurt. Yeah
1: the period of enlightenment as it's called.
0: And the next point is religion right and this is again it links back to society. So it depends if society is orthodox and they're not accepting of change, be it for religious reasons or be it for any reason, you won't have that uh, invention in your society, it's as simple as that. But whereas others who don't have such, I would say, criss in their thinking, will have acceptance. And this happened with, you know, uh, thinking that earth is in the center of the universe. The whole Christian community and you know, the European community thought that the earth was uh, in the center of the universe and they wanted to believe that. But when Copernicus and Galileo said that no, that's not the truth, they were prisoned, they were not listened to, they were jailed, and all of that. So they were all challenges of uh, religious persecution in some way or the other. Yeah, and there were quick four more points where he mentioned that, you know, one is war, obviously, and we discussed this last time, in the last episode itself, that, you know, war is a good catalyst. Good sense, bad sense. war can diminish certain inventions and can, you know, propagate certain inventions. Like World War One bought us, um, you know, motor vehicles and all of that, which was really uh, mentioned. World War II bought us basically nuclear weapons and nuclear power. And uh, then we move on to, you know, government structure. So a more centralized government is, uh, I would say, they can boost invention, they cannot boost invention depending on the amount of funding that they provide. So that was the case. And then you have climatic reasons as well that, and again, these are like, it can go either way. It's not a set rule that if climate is bad, invention will progress. No, it can work either way.
1: You can give both reasoning. So, what happens with these uh, all these 14 reasons is that you can use these reasons to uh, basically make arguments on both sides. So, for example, uh, if you say that uh, because the climate in Europe was harsh, uh, Europeans had to uh, basically come up with inventions to make sure that uh, they were they would survive. And so that's that's what that kind of necessity led them to uh, invent, like the stove or like the uh, the I don't know insulation or something like that. And you can also, on the same uh, same, uh, on the other hand, um, debate that because Europe had such harsh conditions the people had to focus on surviving first and that's why they did not have enough time to innovate which uh, did not give them time to invent basically you can make arguments on both sides so that's why these these all these 14 uh, uh 14 uh factors that he talks about, these can go either way and they're not really hard and fast factors that definitively answer why some uh, civilizations invented uh, more than other civilizations.
0: You know, this is a nice example which he gives about the Islamic states, which was, you know, again shocking to hear and, or not shocking, like I should have predicted this because, that was the area, that was the, you know, fertile crescent area where food production first evolved. And as we have learned right now that food production leads to surplus life, leads to more sedentary life and more sedentary life leads to, you know, writing, the evolution of writing and then technology, you have time to devote to other things and then you develop all of this and you, the society progresses. And Islam was the forefront. Like, they were even progressing faster than um, the Europeans that we today term as, you know, the pioneers of modern innovation and inventions. But Islamic states were doing really great in the medieval era. But then, as we can see now, things deteriorated very, very fast. Now half of the states are not even illiterate.
1: Another good example of this is uh, uh, it's not necessary that inventions, once they start, they kind of just go on a sliding, uh, you know, route that it's just like a, roll, a rolling ball that never stops. It's like inventions can be abandoned. He gives the example of Japan. So Japan uh, was introduced to muskets or like guns uh, way back in like the 1500s when the Portuguese or the Dutch, some one of those people uh, landed on the shows and they introduced J- Japan to guns and so now the peasant class could be conscripted into their armies and they could use guns and uh, this kind of really became popular over Japan and people were fighting with guns in no time but then the samurai who were like the elite class who were uh, who had huge influence on the you know uh, government of Japan they were like no like uh, if you want to um, to fight if you want to go to war if you want to kill someone you have to do it with uh, samurai swords you know because samurai swords first of all were an art in the you know to make and second of all they they Allowed people to kind of go hand to hand against each other, and you have to learn how to use a sword. You have to learn how to duel, and you have to learn how to treat each other in a fight. You know, whereas uh, if you gave just like a peasant uh, a gun, they will just randomly shoot at someone and kill someone. And there was no honor in it. Slowly, because of that, guns eventually became banned in Japan uh, until the very um, you know until the 18th century when uh, Commodore Perry's U.S. Perry's U.S. fleet. Uh, landed on the shores of Japan, and they convinced them to use cannons and this and that. It's a it's a very interesting example of how not it's not necessary that if you invent something, you are you are kind of intellectually superior or you are uh, you know doing so much for the society because there are certain uh, different civilizations or different, you know, certain different societies that can reject inventions based on their needs.
0: And you know there's an important factor here to give a, qu- a bit of background. Here. This is and this happened specifically in Japan because of its isolated nature. Now we know it's an island and all of that. So to give a bit of context here, inventions are not that anyone can do it. Like if that was easy and Pushkar and I had, you know, numerous patents in our file. But that is not the case. Inventions are very hard to do. And um, that is why most of the inventions are, you know, propagated. They're duplicated. And it's the same thing as, you know, the last episode, the blueprint copying and idea diffusion, where you see, I think most of the people copying the inventions and then propagating. And for idea diffusion, you just see it somewhere. And then you think, okay, this can be possible. And then you develop it from scratch in a totally different way. That is where, you know, when Japan got this idea of muskets and all of that, because of its isolated nature, uh, they forgot about the use of guns and that is why the diffusion did not occur after that right because they were isolated if they were you know situated in the middle of Mediterranean area I'm sure they would have again got the influx of guns within a couple of years they would have had
1: to use guns because they would have constantly have to fight against their neighbours who were also using guns so you could not be like um, you know we will just be a peaceful society and we won't use guns Uh, if you do that we've already seen what happened to the Moriori people so you know so it was because Japan was so isolated, and because it was so hard to get into Japan. You could not invade Japan, like uh, like I mentioned in one of the previous episodes. Like Japan is almost like its its nature's uh, it's it's got a natural fortress around it, you know. And it wasn't until the U. S. occupied it in uh, after the after World War II in 1946 or something, Japan had never been invaded ever. So that's like one of the uh, most important reasons why they were able to kind of reject inventions.
0: And I think with all of this, you know, we understand that we have talked about how invention carries forwards, how it is propagated around the world. We talked about, you know, the numerous factors that would lead to technological development. But we still haven't answered that, you know, why certain areas developed faster than the others. And I think the answer might be quite boring because it's repetitive. But just to for completion's sake, you know, there are a few things that he mentions that what basically helped us for all of this. And it comes back to the same points that we discussed, you know, in the very first few chapters. The very first chapters, you know, the I think the not founding or the coming of modern humans—that is, the Cro-Magnons in the Fertile Crescent area—then having a sedentary lifestyle, 13,000 years ago, farming, surplus foods, and then the time to have inventions, and then coming through it. So basically, you know, the onset of food production um, and avoiding the barriers of diffusion, as well as human population, you know, led to the growth. As well as the access, as we saw. Oh yeah, access as well, because it's easier to trans. You know, again to. Repeat, it's easier to traverse in the same latitude because of the similar climate. But than north to south. Africa, there is a desert in between. Mm-hmm. And in Americas, it's just stitch. It's like a stitching with a needle in the Panama area. I don't know how people would cross that. So it's all about that. I, and-
1: <laughs> by the way, you still today can't cross uh, that part of the north-south uh, thing, you know, uh, in Panama. Panama. What? Because there is a large chunk of it that is controlled by uh, all these uh, uh, guerrilla terrorist groups. And because of that, you can't really just go ride, ride from there to
0: there, you know, with all of this he ends the chapter on a very high note. And the reason why I say this is on the population front. I'm not sure whether you were too excited uh, about reading that is. But because I was excited because it proved my theory of Law of large numbers. So I was reading uh, this uh, in uh, this uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. And for people who are listening to me regularly, they would have thought that I'm just reading this book for ages and ages. But yes, this book is exciting enough that I have to continue reading it. And he mentions that if you look at at things and if you make judgment of things in isolation you would always come at wrong conclusions you know where pe- like in today's generation where people think that yeah europeans were so the pioneers of innovation but that is a very narrow looking uh, outlook if you broaden your horizon and you look at all the numbers if you if you take at the entire population in concentration you understand that it's random and it is happening everywhere it is not just in this place and that is why you mentioned that chaos. Europe yeah chaos. so Europe and the Eurasian areas had over you know 1990 they had population over 4 billion and because of that high population there is a higher tendency of having more innovative cultures and more orthodox societies, both at the same time, right? So the more innovative cultures would adopt it and they sometimes will usurp the orthodox societies or they would, you know, go hand in hand. Whereas the other areas like the South Americas or the Af... They were like, what, around 7 million and uh, Africa was even half of that and Australia was not even close so because the people were less the tendency of having or the statistics or the probability of having more inno- people accepting of new ideas and the uh, people accept people who are orthodox were lesser and that is why idea diffusion and technological in- invention did not take place much there and obviously we also have to take into account the use for all of this right uh, we though we uh, understood that Invention basically came before necessity, but sometimes if you don't even have a requirement close to proximity, like in native uh, Mexicans we saw, they would have never, you know, developed a wheel unless Europe invaded them.
1: I mean, even if they did develop a wheel, uh, develop a wheel, they would never have thought of using it for transport. True. True. What you're essentially saying is like that Vir Das joke, right? It's, uh, it's like it's not that all Indians are smart. It's just that it's a numbers game, right? We have one billion people, and if 20% of those are smart. That's like 200 million people. That's like uh, the population of entire countries, like different countries.
0: True, and that also means that there are 800 million people who are idiots.
1: <laughs> we might just that be is that is a whole group. different. That is a whole different issue. That.
0: <laughs> but yeah, this chapter, this recording has again uh, for not too long. But because this chapter had a lot to cover, and maybe we'll end it with this last line, which he mentioned, which was really nice, uh, which he said was okay. Yeah, the New Guineans whom I know include potential idiots, but they directed their ingenuity toward technological problems appropriate to the situations. situations. The problems of surviving without any imported items in the New Guinea jungle rather than the problem of inventing photographs. (laughs) I think that sums up the whole thing.
1: It's a nice biting comment towards a lot of uh, inventions today that we think of as frivolous, you know. There is also this this, um, small concept that he notes about the autocatalytic process of invention that's happening um, in the human um, experience right now that um as we uh, invent more and more the gap between new inventions is closing uh closing and closing and closing now he wrote the book in 1997 where uh, when he was saying that these days inventions come uh, you know every week and uh you know now that we're in 2021 it, it definitely feels like the inventions or like the developments happen at such a fast rate that half of them just go under the radar. Like, we can't even keep up with them. I can only like speculate. I, I don't think I can even speculate uh, what would happen if once this gap kind of keeps on closing in and uh, closing in more and more. Like, what are we headed for? Uh, if you have any idea, like, I'm all ears.
0: I have no idea, bro. Then it, it comes in the realm of science fiction. But then again, it comes to the point that. You know, if you conquer one area, there is another field which is left unconquered and people start focusing there, right? But initially, uh, we were struggling with survival and when we when we basically overcame survival, I think for the most part, we switched our energies towards, you know, making our life more automated and things like that. Once we, you know, overcome that, hopefully we'll, you know, move our eyes towards, you know, exploring space and all of that. That's just my dreams. I don't know how how things will happen. But yeah, I think... Currently, you know, initially people thought that computers will never be used because they were in the sizes of rooms. But now that in our palm tops, basically in our hands as mobile phones, we're using them on a day-to-day basis. You know, people are skeptical about electric cars. They were skeptical five years ago, right? That they do not, they have range anxiety and all of that. And I know in a couple of years, most of us will have electric cars. That would be our aim because, you know, climate preservation and it's more cool and it's better for everyone. So, yeah.
1: Again, screw cars. Let's just invent teleportation already. Like, come on. Yeah, the like uh, tweet at Ford and whatnot. These all, all these car lobbies and oil lobbies are uh, trying to get you to uh, buy cars so that they don't have to focus on inventing teleportation. Let's invent teleportation, and we can all do like the Star Trek thing, you know, no? of beaming each other places.
0: Oh, and then we'll become two walks. But okay, with that obscure comment, let's not. We'll let's end this not episode. go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you guys for listening to this long episode, uh, for sticking around, uh, and we're I think more than halfway through this entire series. I'm really grateful for all of you. I'm seeing all the numbers. Your, pe- your people are liking it. So I'm uh, glad. Hopefully, once this is complete, let us know if you have any other recommendations for books that you want us to review. We'll take a break for sure. Pushkar will for sure need a break uh, from non-fiction. But keep Definitely. your recommendations coming. in. <laughs> but till then, thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Follow us on social media and do let us know if you want to be part of the next episode. Till then, live long and prosper.